Hi, and welcome to part two of autoimmunity for great health does not have to be a mission impossible. And so I was going over autoimmunity last time. We were talking about what autoimmunity and autoimmune disease is, and there's different phases that come along with it. And I have to bring up the next topic, which is gluten sensitivity. So again, not going to beat this gluten thing up. I want you to know that about one third of people who have gluten sensitivities actually have a symptom. Two thirds have no symptom at all, not even a gastrointestinal thing. Now, they might have a rash, they might have a headache, but only one third have actual, I, I bloat or I swell or when I eat gluten, I have constipation or diarrhea. So it, it's not just that it, where it tacks there, it goes to the rest of the body. So 70% of our immune system hangs out in our gastrointestinal tract, and this is where your small and large intestines hang out. And it, we're not just talking about hey, if you have these issues, you have a gluten sensitivity, you should go grab a probiotic. Maybe have some yogurt. But if that's what you're thinking, that's not going to work for you. Most yogurts only have one probiotic. Most probiotics have four strains of probiotics. So the research shows you have you must have at least seven of the 12 research strains to actually make a difference. And it needs to be in the neighborhood of 30 billion cells. So even when I go through the store, I think I had to go in to, let's say, one of the biggest retail, low price place. Uh, and I'm walking through... I can't remember what I was getting, pencils or something like that. And I saw that there was like applesauce or something uh, for sale in an end cap. And it said, with probiotics. And I was like, all right, I got to know. And I pulled it up and it's like a couple of million. That's a marketing scheme. It's it's not it's not going to hurt. So if if I'm just eating something, again, when it comes down to these probiotics, if you take one, if, if I'm going to eat something, it's going to kill it. So it needs to be hard enough to get past the stomach. So you can have a whole bunch of probiotics that aren't... Um, pathogenic but they're also no beneficial so they don't get past your stomach um and so they have to be hardy so if you have to refrigerate refrigerate a probiotic it ain't gonna make anywhere so you're wasting money and unfortunately when it comes to probiotics like 99 of all probiotics a they're not uh, in the seven of the 12 strains b they're not hardy enough to get past the stomach c they're not in a possible some of them need to be in a capsule to get past the stomach to deliver depending on what's going on and so um that's not going to help. So what if there's an autoimmune issue? What if there's an infection in there? If you've ever gone out shopping because you waited too late on Christmas and you decided like Christmas Eve you're going to go out and go shopping, the parking lot's full. So if you have infections and all the spaces within your intestines are covered, where's your probiotic going to go? The spaces are full. So it's really hard to get there. So again, you might drive around forever in your uh, to find a parking spot, which, you know, at that time of year, nobody's really friendly. You're in a Christmas spirit. And, and this is what happens for most people who have autoimmune disease. They have a breakdown in their called microbiome. And they have yeast or fungus or parasites or other bacteria. And in these little, they're called finger-like projections in your intestine. It's called a, um, uh, they're called Hofstra. And this is where the gut comes together. This is where your absorption comes. And this is where your digestion um, begins where the food is broken down. It goes through these little holes within the hostra. But if you have a leaky gut, you have inflammation. And the leaky gut could be from Epstein-Barr, a virus, or a bacteria, or a fungus, or even the food that you're not breaking down, or a medication, or any of the other triggers we talked about before. And so now these holes get blocked. So if you're putting a probiotic in there, it's pretty asinine that you 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 were just throwing away money. It's not, it's not how it works. Uh, is there a place and time and a place for antibiotics? Absolutely. If you just went on a, uh, an antibiotic, uh, there's a time and a place because antibiotics is like, I'm going to go kill the bad stuff, but oh, by the way, if you're on my way, I'm going to kill you too. 
So really, that's how antibiotics work. And so you get what's called dysbiosis. You It doesn't kill yeast. Yeast can come up. Let's say you ate some junk food after that. Um, this is really how it can be so simplistic as to how somebody can have a leaky gut and, and why it's, it's it's this stuff, this autoimmunity is so prevalent in the United States. Just think of anybody that, you know, what do we do on Halloween? Eat candy. What do you do on Thanksgiving? You eat too much food. Most of it's carbs. What do you do on they, or, uh, Christmas parties? You might have some drinks. You might eat some candy. You might have some pastries. What do you do on New Year's? What do you do on your birthday? What do you do on Valentine's Day? What do you do on Earth Day? I don't know. I'm just making some stuff up here at this point, but you get the point. We have a lot of opportunity or um, things that happen to where we can eat foods that allow the body to break down or we get so much sugar that our immune system breaks down and then we can get sick and then we have to take an antibiotic and then go from there or somebody has uh, exposures and whatnot or their yeast is too high and so they can't break any food down so they have food allergies so it looks like allergies and they take allergy medication which then also does <laughs> the same thing it's just on and on and on we are exposed at every single point that's why i'm in business and that's why we are like number one in spending in the world but we are like 39th in success we have to do something different so in our office, we run gluten sensitivity as on everybody who walks in the door unless they're just too young to run blood tests and that's just not going to work for us. But we still don't want them to eat it whether they are have a test or not. And here's why I've yet to find nobody has told me that they inject gluten into their bloodstream. And I do ask everybody who do have a gluten sensitivity, did you or did you not inject gluten in your bloodstream? And nobody has said yes. And it got there because it went through the gut. And this gluten is a monster molecule. It's not like it gets in there. In comparison to, let's say, um, different types of protein or amino acids, it's very, very big. So there has to be a pretty big hole in there because you could have, okay, let's say you went out and had a fun evening. Let's say you just bumped your head on the kitchen counter. Let's say you slipped and fell. You know, there's, there's trauma and other things. Let's say you ate all the candy at, at Halloween. There is going to be some holes in there, but it shouldn't be big enough and sustained long enough that it gets gluten in there. But once it gets in there, we got a problem. And your body says that isn't supposed to be there, and it starts making antibodies to it, which creates inflammation. So in order to get to the gut, um, we have to understand where did where did this come from? And once you have a leaky gut, the proteins at the bottom of the gut are now leaking. The same proteins that are there are also the same as in the lung or in the sinuses or in the brain. So there are people who have allergies, sometimes at different parts of the year or sometimes worse, all the parts of the year. So when one system, so let's say you have a sinusitis, chronic allergies, and you uh, we'll call it snot and coughing and severe and all that stuff um, that goes on, you eventually will affect your gut. You eventually will affect your brain. And this is why we want to know about any of those um, you know, I might not be looking at a gut. I might be looking at somebody who has sinus issues. Uh, what if somebody had, I don't know, a virus that, or a, the, the flu or um, pneumonia that really affected their lung function? What's going to happen to their brain and gut? They're going to break down. What if somebody had a traumatic brain event? What if somebody had a concussion? Now, the brain has broken down, and now it's that it's leaky brain. When leaky brain creates an autoimmune condition that goes through there, depending on how long and how severe it is and how the body deals with what's called antioxidants and how what's called their brain-derived neurotropic factor and how well they heal, and give enough inflammation in there. And let's say they, they have a traumatic brain event, and they're just hanging out eating fast food all day long. Now they have a breakdown in their gut, and now they have exposure to gluten that they didn't have before. This is literally how this happens. So when we do history, we have to go figure out what, what is your trigger, and maybe let's not do that again. And if it's just a, you know one time I got in a car wreck or whatnot, okay, that's great. But uh, it, it triggered. I've even had a lady that she was in a car wreck, got hit from behind, and had a little bit, just a little bit of whiplash, but that inflamed her gut and thyroid. And now she had Hashimoto's. 
and she's like 22. She was extremely young for this to happen, but she had a, a trigger that, that, that went in there and, um, being 22, there's not an amount of income that's coming in. Most of the time it's not. And so she waited and waited until it got bad enough. And, you know, there's a, a high percentage of probability that had she gone and seen somebody, even if it was just to help the neck and thyroid area get better, that the digestion that the thyroid runs might have been enough to get in front of it. But it wasn't. And so there she has to deal with something now for the rest of her life. But that's what I, when somebody gets hurt, we want to see them now. I don't want to wait two weeks. I don't want to wait two years. I, I want to see them now. And one of the primary drivers of this autoimmune and inflammatory response is gluten. So uh, I'm just going to give you the history of gluten because you have to understand how this is tied into autoimmunity. So gluten was fortified in us in, in order for us to eat it. So if you had to eat gluten all by itself, it wouldn't sustain your life. So you have to fortify it, meaning that you have to made, add something to it to make it worthy of you. Um, in 1943, Congress passed a law that says it must be fortified because gluten as a grain itself was lacking nutrients. And so people were getting a condition that was called beriberi, and they were getting neurological issues. Keep in mind, gluten ataxia, gluten sensitivity can go to the brain and create neurological conditions. So this isn't something new. This is like World War II. Um, people who made this law don't even live today. So it's been around for a long time. So back to the history of grains. Like in 1850, they figured out how to extract and to get wheat into our food system. And this is where gluten was first identified, like in 1855. So a long, 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 long time ago. The first patient of celiac or gluten intolerance was identified in 1892. Um, there was a guy named Ford. You might have heard of him. And he started to create whole food cereal. And this is in 1894. So again, this stuff's been around for a long time. Uh, there was a particular gastro gastroenterologist, and a lot of his patients had mastic constipation because at that time, we're in the late 1800s, most people were farmers. And um, during the winter, they hunted squirrels, they picked nuts, they ate what they could because there's not refrigeration that's going on. So they weren't exactly getting a lot of roughage or rough things that they could break down and so they're they're mostly constipated and this doctor had found that if you give enemas that had a particular food in it that had higher amounts of gluten in it it would release or relieve their constipation by way of diarrhea his name was dr kellogg maybe you've heard of that company so three years later his mentor um who decided that eh, i think we can do better than that he created another cereal called grape nuts his name was post and so you might have heard of Kellogg and Post, and this is literally how it was introduced to our food system over 120 years ago. So in 1922, the Medical Society, our American Medical Society, American Medical um, Association, went to Congress and said, this is wrong. We have to stop what we're doing because people are becoming inflamed. They actually had a warning versus grain in 1931. Um, a pediatrician by the name of Dr. Dickey first diagnosed the first patient with celiac disease in 1932. Dr. Crone, guess what he diagnosed, came up with Crohn's disease in 1940, uh, and he found this after chemical fertilizers were used to increase the yield of gluten in their foods. So again, this stuff has been around forever. This isn't a fad. This isn't something new. This is what's in the research. And when you get more yield, you get more gluten. And when you get more gluten, you get more valve issues, ileocecal valve, bowel inflammation, what's considered leaky gut, etc. 
this was noble um, from a Cargill standpoint. They had created these fertilizers, and it was very noble because they wanted to feed more people, and it made more sense. Here we are in the, you know, the Great Dust Bowl, and everybody's hungry, and if they could feed more people, it was a very tough time in our country. So I'm not like, you know, forget these companies and the farmers and whatnot. No, they, they, they did it without understanding what the potentiation or what could happen, knowing that uh, from Dr. Kellogg's work, they were just trying to feed people, and, and so I'm not going to jump up and down and, you know, let's put a sign up and um, dance in front of Kellogg and, and post and say, we, we, we're not going to do this anymore. So what, what happened is, is Congress created um, what's called fortification so they can get the people who had beriberi that actually had trimmers and shakes. So keep in mind that if somebody has enough gluten, they can have a centralized trimmer. If you have enough gluten, you can have a neurological condition where you can't even stand up or you don't have no balance. Uh, there's called gluten ataxia. These are real neurological conditions. And a long time ago, um, schizophrenia was actually called bread poisoning. It's a neurological condition, but it's poison due to bread, all due to gluten. So in 1953, Congress enacted an act that says, okay, we're going to fortify these B vitamins to offset these neurological conditions that are coming from it. And so we won't allow it to happen. But it still exists. The inflammation still exists. And while inflammation and gluten still remain, um, the testing that we use today in the medical world, and this is why I do what I do, is from 1953. These uh, transglutaminase is from 1953. And that's what the standard of care is. It is no longer 1953. We have cell phones. We have computers that we can put on our lap and doesn't have to take up the entire house. This is where I'm just wanting to drive home a point that when somebody's being tested for celiac your information is from 1953. We have a lot more information. There's three tests. There's 120 now. There's ways to look at the leaky gut. There's ways to look at the microbiome. There's ways to look at the thyroid. There's ways to look at digestion. There's ways to look at your brain. There's ways to look at your nervous system that are not part of 1953. There has been some advancements in science, and I'm very grateful for it. But I want you to know that that is one bullet point that I have for how most people get tested. So if their Hashimoto's are getting tested for TSH, that's literally 1953. We can go way beyond that. So if we look at gluten, just what it does, it can bind to every single tissue in the body and it can um, create inflammation. And so if it, I just don't want you to go back to 1953. It, it's the bigger part with gluten that we know now. So here, here, you know, how long ago, 1930, when we had celiac and around there for Crohn's, okay? So we've moved around a whole century. What have we learned since then? That once you have an antibody to gluten, and 75% of the, I don't know, four or 5,000 people that we've tested have a positive antibody. And that's just randomly taking people. And I'm not looking for, any, and, and by the way, like, Less than 10% of these people had a gastrointestinal complaint. So we know that only a few have them, but in our in our office, other issues were caused from a leaky gut by way of gluten that created inflammation and possibly an autoimmune condition. So when you have an antibody to gluten, there are other foods, when you eat them and say that you're gluten-free, that can cross-react to them. What that means is you can be, I don't touch a piece of gluten, and I go eat potatoes. Or uh, what actually has gluten in them. So anything that has a grain has gluten in it. So soy and corn uh, and rice and teff and tapioca and buckwheat and amaranth, or amaranth 
um, and even hemp all have a gluten seed to them, but they're considered gluten-free. They're not gluten-free because they have gluten in them. Um, but legally they can say that it's gluten-free because it's not made from wheat. The only gluten-free labels that are out there are with wheat. If you don't have wheat, you can say gluten-free. And, and you can see that on anything. Like, literally, Coke could say gluten-free on it. Drives me nuts, but it technically has high fructose corn syrup, and corn is, has gluten, so there can be cross-contaminants and everything that goes in there. So maybe somebody cooked on, um, for whatever reason, let's say they had wheat oil, and they're cooking on wheat oil that might have gluten in it. Or they, they cooked in this particular oil, and they went over there. That's a cross-contaminant versus a cross-reactant. So what a cross-reactant is, is potato... I'm just throwing stuff out there in what's called um, instant coffee. They're not gluten, but their molecules are, let's say, 40 and 60% as close to gluten as possible. So there's a chance that 30 or 40% of that molecule is available for an antibody to react to. So if you eat them and you still have a leaky gut and they get into your body, you're not eating them gluten. No question you're not. But the immune system says, oh, I can attach to that. Antibody attaches to it. Once it attaches to it, it creates inflammation. And then off your immune system goes. And that's if you have an autoimmunity, then it, it, it starts to attack that. The biggest cross-reactant for gluten at about 80 to 85%, depending on what research they're looking at, is dairy. So if you have a gluten sensitivity, there's an 85% chance you have a dairy sensitivity and vice versa. Now you go, okay, I'm not going to have dairy. I'm just going to have goat milk. And this is what happens so much in the pediatric world is they'll go, okay, we're going to, we can't have this formula, so we're going to move to this, or we're going to mix, you know, this. Anyway, goat milk is like 90% of dairy. So you're not really making a whole lot of changes. So if you have a child and maybe you, you get lucky and that 10% is everything and you have a rash on a child and it goes away. Okay, great. Um, you're still probably creating some inflammation, but from a, we'll call it the, um, the eye test, you're making changes, but I don't, I, if I have a, a patient in my office and they've done that, I'm like, you can do that, but your chances of that happening are like less than 10%. But if you want to try it because you're desperate and you just want to have calories in your child, go for it, but understand why this might not work. And so um, we get it to go through there. So again, we have testing from 1953 that, that is out there and, and that's the best part. So if we move forward to this entry, we get cross-reactants, we get cross-contaminations, uh, we get different things. And so many people have this on here. So more importantly, like in my case, it went to my thyroid, it changed my digestion, uh, was a source for Hashimoto's and I want to get on the bandwagon. But this is these are things that, that go on. So the reason that Dr. Kellogg or Dr. or um, not Dr. Post, Kellogg and it was just Post, was using it was to create diarrhea. That was their purpose. Um, and it's not supposed to be there. It's just not. And if you make an antibody to it, it creates inflammation. So I don't want you to eat them if you know, life happens. I got it. But we just want to do better than that. Now, when it comes to what's called a cross-reactant, 80% of our patients don't have them. But 20% do. And it's not because they messed up, but there's a problem. It just means that they had something that cross-reacted. So, for instance, and we talked about, well, it could be dairy, um, but it could be eggs, too. So we have to go test for those. And there's there's tests that come along with it. And the company that we use for that is called Cyrex. And we're looking for what type of permeable membrane you have. And there's actually four. Uh, one of them takes six to nine months to heal. One of them takes... Um, 12 to 15 months to heal. 
One of them takes 18 to 24 months to heal, and one of them takes about three years to heal. That's a big difference. So if you're in any doctor office and you've been diagnosed with a leaky gut, and let's say they did it right, um, let's say you have a, a gluten sensitivity and you didn't inject it, so by all probability you have a leaky gut because it's there, um, and you go to them for three months. There isn't any leaky gut that's going to heal in three months, no matter what you do. There isn't any research that shows that, hey, this magic supplement's going to do this or that, and other supplements that can help break things down. But that's it. Period. That is it. So you can start something and feel better. I'm not questioning that you can feel better, but it isn't healed. It isn't healed. It's like, okay, my knee doesn't hurt anymore um, because I haven't been running. And then you go out and run again, and then it's, ah, it's still there. That's what a leaky gut is, and it just takes time to be able to do that, and you have to be doing things. You can't just like rest and go, okay, I won't just have gluten, and I'm not going to do anything else. It's bigger than that. So you got to get educated, and that's the whole point of these podcasts is to get you the information you need to have. Or you can do things that make it worse. Like in the case of my son, he had a little bit of brain trauma called a concussion, and then uh, so he quit football um, after that didn't work out for him, and um, nobody gave him at the time because he was – away from me, a whole bunch of antioxidants, which you're supposed to do after a concussion like that. I mean, he got knocked out. And then um, within a few days of that, he had this, um, his fingers were turning blue. That's called Renaud's. So it turned on a trigger for him. Um, and so he went back to, because he went from soccer, traveling soccer to football for a year, then back to soccer. And everything was fine until you started hitting headers again. And then Renaud's is back. So we have to figure out, okay, for you, for these cases, because here we go, um, Micro brain trauma equals leaky gut equals autoimmune trigger. So how about we stop paying soccer? Uh, maybe do something else <laughs> that doesn't hit your head or, you know, um, you don't, don't do headers. Um, well, I can't do that, Dad, because that's not how soccer works. Well, okay, but you're going to have to do something else. And so that's where we get antioxidants. And, and we want antioxidants to make something called, and the biggest one is called glutathione. And glutathione, the right amount, is like an antioxidant that's a million to one versus like vitamin C. It's one to one. It's DNA protective. It protects the gut. It protects the lungs. It protects the brains. This is why we use it in our office. And some people can use whey protein isolate because it's an isolate and they've taken out the junk. Um, but it could still have cross-contaminated dairy because our whey comes from that. But that can be broken down into what's called N-acetylcysteine. And N-acetylcysteine can make glutathione. Now, if you followed any of the current political BS that goes on in our world, they're trying to get glutathione out, I'm sorry, NAC, N-acetylcysteine, out of our system. It is extremely vital. It's like what detoxifies you and allows these barriers to be in check. Why? They want to make it a medication. I mean, just the, this nitty-gritty so they can sell it. But it's such an important thing, and it's been out there forever. I think it's going to be suppressed, and it'll be back into all of our um, supplement worlds. But um, it is it is vital, and I don't, I don't know how we don't live without it. So there are multiple forms of, of what's called N-acetylcysteine, and it can come in, in, in combination with other things. And you can get glutathione, and you can get acetylglutathione, and you get powder. When glutaminate, glutamine powder is not the same as glutathione, uh, just so you know. And anything that's in a powder form, by the way, you like scoop it and put it in a powder form, it's, it's probably not going to make it past your intestine, especially your stomach, because you have acid in there, and this is an antioxidant, and there's a free radicals, essentially acid, but it's sustained within the stomach, and they're going to be used up. And so you can use a liposomal delivery system, but you still have to have water, and the water can react and create antioxidants. So you don't get as much in the lip, uh, liposomal glutathione, but you can get it delivered better. You just have to take more. 
And then there's acyglothione, which is very good at getting in, but it's the most expensive form of it. Um, and not everybody requires it, and especially somebody that ever had yeast issues or asthma issues. You give them that, and they're going to have they can have reactions. So we don't want to we don't want to do that. So we go back and forth. If it's, a, if it's a kid, we use liquid. Why? Because they don't have that much going on. It can't. They don't have life <laughs> that's in there. But as an adult, we try to use the the right glutathione with the right delivery system that gets in there and has an effect on their body. And and the good thing is when we've gone through like seven different companies of glutathione, we always ask, "How do you feel?" And when we got to this one, it was like these people got, I noticed a difference. Oh, you know, and you've got this autoimmune condition. You've had that autoimmune condition. Um, I noticed a difference. Good, cool. That's the one we're going to go with. Um, and, and then, of course, run our testing to make sure that everything is, is, is perfect. So if you listen this far in the autoimmune world, here's where we get into what are we going to do to fix it? So in the functional medicine world, we have to find the mechanism, meaning what caused it? What turned it on? What's your trigger? How did you get there? How do we, we have to know this in order to unwind. And this is where we come into testing. So again, very rarely in our office do we run food sensitivities. And this doesn't mean that I do not run food sensitivity and food sensitivities, but leaky gut with food allergies means that the allergies are secondary to leaky gut. We must calm that down and then make sure that there's not inflammatory responses including food that are your trigger so we might be looking at an infection we might be looking at exposure in your environment environment we might look at mold uh, all these disrupt and create issues what if you have too much stress and it doesn't really matter where it's from it could be physiological stress of all the things we talked about but you could have emotional stress mental stress work stress life stress um, yeah, it, it does it. It can break down your environment. It can change your microbiome. It can change your leaky gut. Uh, it can create high blood pressure. Some people have erectile dysfunction because of mental and emotional stress, um, amenorrhea, dysmenorrhea, uh, menopause that are all in a stress um, world. So uh, your body makes a stress hormone called cortisol. And again, that's why we run that in our office to see what's happening. Cortisol can run the show. When your cortisol is too high, you're in extremely stress. When your cortisol is low, you're in exhaustion. And that's a much harder case to deal with. And so, again, this is reasons why we test. So we have to know where you're at in the stress world. In, the, in our office, we look in your eyes. We want to see what your sympathetic system looks like. This is your fight or flight. And if your fight or flight is running unregulated, that means your immune system and your autoimmunity is also going to be running rampant because they're run by the nervous system. And so... What a sympathetic symptom means, your fight or flight, if you're going to run from a bear because a bear's chasing after you, the other side of this nervous system called the parasympathetic nervous system, this is what runs your pee, poop, sex, digestion, immunity, blood sugar, and blood supply, I've said that a few times, is now secondary. You don't need to digest. There's a bear behind you. You don't need to procreate. There's a bear behind you. You don't need to deal with um, your blood sugar because there's a bear behind you. You need to get blood and oxygen as fast as you can to your lungs, your heart, and your muscles and get the heck out of there. Most people that come into my office, when we look into their eyes and see what a pupil response is and see how they respond to this and that, they're in a fight or flight mode. Now, some of them are a whole lot worse than other ones. And when you are completely in dysautonomia, which is the nervous system, just uh, one minute you have blood pressure, it's like normal, and then it's high, and then it's low, or your heart rate goes high and low, or you can't get it down. Um, the best thing I've found for those people is acupuncture. And it's going to be several sessions of acupuncture to bring them back to unwind that, to get that nervous system to calm down and understand that, again, you have a patient that comes in 
Or I do. I'm just explaining to other doctors and people out there. You come into my office and you're in dysautonomia and you're in a fight or flight situation. Do you think you're going to digest any of the supplements I give you? Or any food that you have? Probably not. But I need to do something to get something in you. But those people get to usually take more than everybody else because it goes right through them because they're not digesting. But that's why they come with digestive issues. I have a digestive issue and I've taken these things and they don't work. They don't work because it's not enough. They don't work because you're haven't addressed your stress level they don't work because your inflammation is creating this and this and this which is adding to your stress i hope you see that that is there there's so many factors that come in and then we could throw in genetics on top of that and really go for fun so it's not just about leaky gut it's not just about autoimmunity it's about everything that that goes in there and runs it um and so we want to make sure that that none of those happen that we have to address those when we can and sometimes we have to do some um, I'm not a licensed counselor or anything, but I have to listen and give suggestions. You know, what, what does that really do? Well, when I get home um, from a long day at work, my son is playing on the computer, and I told him not to. And it really pisses me off. Okay. Uh, is there anything else that um, you asked your son to do that day? Yeah, to do all the chores. We wanted to make the dishes and feed the dog and everything. Were they done? Yeah. Okay. Um, have you told your son how much that pisses you off? Well, no. Okay. Well, let's start there. I'm not a counselor, but there are some little things that somebody can tell me that it would like, okay, well, let's see if we can't, essentially, I'm lopping off the head of the poisonous snake here, and your your stress is your child, and you haven't told your child what makes you upset about them, and it could be anything. It could be a coworker or whatnot. I'm just throwing out something, but if we can get that to go away or to be alleviated, to, to be remedied, or you know, this child wasn't maliciously trying to piss you off. It just happens that it did piss you off. Um, that's called being human, and it's okay, but communication is a, a big part to that um, to help going on, so we have to check all these different things to make sure they work, and then after we do all of our testing, we have to build a program to make sure that we can reconnect this program to your brain, so your immune system, your nervous system knows what to do to your immune system, your immune system knows what to do to your body. And hopefully we can do a really good job of dampening your immune system, keeping your inflammation down, and keep all the other factors at bay that cause disease. So when it comes to your brain, uh, did you ever play catch with like a two-year-old? And uh, if you did, did they catch it? Probably not. Did they throw it back? No. But did you know that that kid has more neurons than you do? And what they don't have is what they're lacking is what's called neuroplasticity. So as your brain develops, by the way, you have the most neurons you'll ever have about 14 to 18 months, and then it's gone. And um, so think of a plant that just has, or you know, a Charlie Brown tree that just has a tree and one uh, bulb on it for Christmas. But a child has billions of those. Well, we don't have very many trees, but we have a very thick hedge. So now we have only, let's say they have billions of those, but we have hedges and they're all connected you can't get through it. When you push something in it, everything bounces back. That's what neuroplasticity is. So you have less neurons, but they connect, and they connect to everything. Um, so the reason I bring this up is with an autoimmune condition, your nervous system is not taking care of the hedge. The hedge, as it grows, and sometimes it gets wild. If you ever have had a hedge together, and then it starts to grow, and it comes up, you've got to go trim it. It's called pruning. If you have autoimmunity, your brain stops pruning the brain. And then you don't get as much neuroplasticity. So then we have to go figure out. So when we're looking in the office, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this and that? We're trying to find out what is not working so we can work on there and help your brain prune. We're definitely 100% of the time trying to stop inflammation. And again, we sometimes have to use acupuncture to calm it down. And sometimes 
I really have to be serious with your food, and we have to do something very restricted called Shape Reclaimed, which is beyond um, Whole30 or um, Autoimmune Paleo. And we have, and and or we have to go find out some of the foods that are there because everything you touch is there. So we have to give you something to eat. And um, anyway, that's that's the big deal. So we want to know what what your inflammatory response is, and then where can we go from that? And if you're running blood tests and it doesn't show up, is it a false positive? Yes, no. Is there genetics that come into concern? Now keep in mind, autoimmunity doesn't come in that, but you could have autoimmune condition, or I'm sorry, genetic conditions that don't allow the blood supply to work right, that don't allow the immune system to work right, doesn't allow your nervous system to work right. And so we got to go, okay, well, let's support those so that we can get what we call root cause. you got the root that's not doing so well. Let's heal that and see if the branches start to grow and the leaves come on and, and you actually start to function. So with your treatments that we do, and any author should be doing this, you should have blood tests to find tell you what's going on, to address any nutritional needs you might have, to supplement with any, um, well, uh, could be supplements, because nutrients can be, you know, go out and eat a salad. Or you can have a supplement because it's very, it's impossible. And then today, because of the way that the earth has been farmed, you don't get the nutrients that were in 1920. It's not even close. Like you only get 10% of the apple nutrients. That's why we have to have supplements in there, but you can still get food. If the nervous system isn't communicating, then what are we going to do with that? We're going to do mechanoreceptor stimulation. Um, and we're coming with acupuncture programs for mechanoreceptor stimulation so you can do it at home. So you can be even more and start training your nervous system to fire. I want to turn your brain on. I want to dampen your immune system. And when I can do that, I can start to evaluate and help your immune system work in the right way. Um, so if, if you thought that you could get away with getting away with no exercise, that isn't going to happen. <laughs> so, um, And exercise also helps these things called mechanoreceptors. And mechanoreceptors, when you step on, let's say you're going out, going out for a run. When your foot hits, there's pressure. Your body has come down on it. That's a receptor. It's going to recognize that. Uh, what is your foot doing? Is it landed flat? Did you roll your ankle? Did you on your toes or on your heels? Those are mechanoreceptors to tell your brain where everything's going. Oh, well, uh, if we hit this way, then I need this muscle to fire. That's a mechanoreceptor. If you stepped on something that hurt, ouch, that's a mechanoreceptor. These are all receptors that tell your body where they are in fate and in, in, in space so that everything else reacts to it so this is vitally important to an autoimmune case and this is where most doctors fail at treating autoimmune conditions they just see a patient and they teach him nothing or do nothing about their auto or their mechanoreceptors because this is the term called autoimmune neurology and i just talked about the immune system i'm raising my voice because i get upset when i hear other doctors well just take this leaky gut supplement or you have a parasite or this and that and they're not doing anything about mechanoreceptors so here's how the immune system works and how the body responds if you have an autoimmune condition and you get some stimulation in your mechanoreceptors it goes up in there and actually decreases the inflammation of what's going on if you don't see a doctor for 12 months or 12 weeks 12 weeks 12 weeks and not have a mechanoreceptor stimulated all that work you paid for is gone it's gone so you have to and you have to be in like remission for that to go longer you can go three months you can go three months if you're in remission and that's as long as you go. So that's as long as I let somebody go in our office is three months. But they have to be in remission, and they can't. And the the, the thing is, you can't get in a car wreck. You can't get sick. You can't you can't get divorced. You can't get uh, you know change jobs. None of this stuff because it's a stress. It's a trigger, and you know you're definitely not going to go out and 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 do things that are detrimental to your health. And if you do, you got to come in sooner. But if everything is fine and you're going to work and happy and everything's good and you're traveling and, and being yourself. I don't need to see you for three months. But that's as far as you get to go because of these mechanoreceptor stimulations and how profound they are in the immune system and the nervous system and what they do. 
So without that at 12 weeks, so let's say somebody actually has a joint issue such as rheumatoid arthritis and they have joint destruction. If we can see them and do very good mechanoreceptor work um, every three or four weeks, we can keep that from advancing. But after four weeks, it can start to become fibrous. And after 12 weeks, it goes back into the structured side of staying. So like kind of a scab versus a scar. Uh, that's what we're dealing with. So when somebody has lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or joint issues, um, they just, you can't go without doing something for mechanoreceptor stimulation, uh, whether it's an oral office, uh, even a massage, a good massage, when it, somebody knows what they're doing, um, some sort of manual therapy. That's so deep in the literature, and it's ignored. On the flip side, we have a lot of chiropractors that do plenty of joint manipulation and mechanoreceptor stimulation. However, they don't do anything with nutrition or the nervous system itself. And so you only get a third of what you need. So if you do, I'm going to eat everything and I'm going to do everything right, or I'm just going to exercise my way out of it, or I'm just going to adjust myself out of it, or massage my way out of it, or I'll take this supplement out of it, you're not your expectations have to be very, very low. Uh, less than 30% of people have response. And I didn't say they got healed or in remission. Have a response that's beneficial. I have less pain because I see a chiropractor three times a week. Great. You're not healing. You're seeing a chiropractor three times a week. Put that into perspective or I have to have a massage every week to survive. You've got a lot of inflammation that has to be addressed. So um, let's say I had a joint again and it hasn't been stimulated and, uh, for a while and I tell you to come in at 8 weeks and then you push it to 12 and you push it to 16 in the literature it says you've done nothing at all and this isn't just my office this is anybody that does that so if you're going to get started with something and you understand what your situation is somebody's actually been very thorough and said you have A, B, and C and you, especially if it's autoimmune every time that you quit a doctor and you don't find another one or you don't go back until you feel bad enough to go back, you are literally starting over with the process. So these are all things that I want to put out there for people to hear. Um, not that you have to be in my office. I'm, I'm not, I, you're, everybody's welcome. We'll see what we can do. But doctors don't say enough and maybe they don't understand the literature and that's fine. But I'm telling you what the literature says that if you went in and you know have a known autoimmune condition, and then you stop going for three months, you wasted your money. And so you have to, if it's a money thing, do whatever you can to get in there, at least in that eight to 12 week range, uh, you know, three or four is going to be better. So um, I'm just going to drive that point home. So that, those are all the things we have to know. We have to test, not guess, to know what to do. And then we have to retest, not everything, but we have to retest what wasn't working to see if the, the therapies, whether it's diet, or nutrition, or exercise, or stress reduction, uh, all these things are working together to make you better. Nietzsche once said, I'm pulling off some fun stuff, he who wishes one day to fly must first learn to stand and to walk and to run and to dance. One can simply fly into flying. So that's why I'm the doctor who treats, and I start with people to teach them to walk and to stand and to run so that we can get them to fly. I know you have a lot of options to listen to when you listen to podcasts, and I'm, 
um, I'm eternally grateful that you listen to all of this. And if you like us, please like us. If you really like us, please share us. Uh, we'd like to grow. If you have a topic you'd like us to, to address, um, please go ahead and send that to us, and we'll do our best to provide as much information about that topic at all, at all possible. I'm Dr. Trites, new, our, with New Leaf Health. Great health does not have to be a mission impossible.